0: Talking Illinois High School Football. If your goals are as high as you talk about, tonight's tonight, night you go out and just take one more step. One, two, three, it's a view from the West.
1: And it starts right now.
0: <laughs> Welcome into View from the West Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Armstrong, once again joined by Mitch Stormer. Mitch, we're getting through our season previews. This episode. We're doing the Lincoln Trail Conference, and later on, the second half of the show, we'll be joined by Kyle Campmeyer to talk about the Northwest Upstate Illini. Of course, Kyle, he's the guru of the NUIC, NUICfootball.com. You can find them on Facebook and on Twitter. He's all over it, so I'm going to call him in to give us a little help on the NUIC. But Mitch, we're going to jump first into the Lincoln Trail Conference. Are you ready to preview some small school football?
2: Yeah, I uh, can't wait. A, a very uh, good conference that's going through some changes this year. So yeah, going to be an uh, exciting fall for uh, for this conference.
0: That's right. Well, before we jump into it, if you're listening to this and you want to hear some other season previews on other conferences, we already have our Western Big Six season preview. That one's already out, and you can also find our Three Rivers Athletic Conference, where me and Mitch break down all 14 teams from both divisions in the track. That was that was a big effort. That was that one's a lot of teams to go through when you get through all 14, but we did it. The Lincoln Trail Conference makes it a little easier on us, not quite as many teams. So we'll jump right into the preview here. Thank you so much to everybody who listens. You can, of course, follow along on Twitter if you're not already at View from West Pod. You can also find these episodes and a bunch of other fun stuff on our YouTube channel. The search view from the West Podcast on YouTube subscribe along and listen on any device that you that you use you can find us on apple podcast on spotify on podbean go out and find us subscribe give us a good review we always like that
2: well and you know your your plugs it's it's clearly working because uh you know we just passed over the 400 follower threshold there on twitter today so thank you to uh to everybody i was looking at it and didn't believe uh that it was that high yeah, I mean, it, it's really
0: skyrocketed in the last two weeks, which is a ton of fun. I'm glad that people are enjoying the content and they're into it. Obviously, there's, you know, there's other people, other accounts that have many more followers than that. Yep. But man, we started from, you know, from the bottom floor here. We're just working our way yeah. up. So yep. getting to a milestone of 400 was pretty cool. So yes, thank you so much to everyone who listens and tweets along with us. It, it, it's a lot of fun. We enjoy it. And this football season is is going to be great with, you know, everybody listening in and kind of having fun with all the high school football in the area. So Mitch, without further ado, let's jump into the Lincoln trail conference, a season preview. We're going to start with one of the new teams in the conference. One of the newbies, a town Mm -hmm. Abingdon, Avon jumps over. Um, They were in the Prairie land and then they're now in the Lincoln trail conference, the tornadoes head coach, Rick Quinn, led the team to a three and one record a year ago before they ended up cutting their season a little bit short, but still there's some positive momentum, some things to build on for them, especially when you consider numbers are up. They're up to what I believe I read 43 kids now. So depth shouldn't be a concern. Hopefully, you know, they got guys who can stay healthy and they'll have guys below them, but um, this should be an exciting start for the tornadoes in the Lincoln trail conference.
2: If they build off what they did in the spring with that depth that you just talked about, a manageable schedule, you know, look out here, here come the tornadoes, uh, so to speak. So I think they can, uh, they can make some noise for sure. They open up their
0: season at home against Rova Williams field. We'll talk a little bit about them in a few minutes, but that is your look at Abingdon Avon, a town tornadoes, some unique jerseys, interesting looks, you know, very, very new, very modern feel to them. Let's go down the list. We're going to Mercer County. The Mercer County Golden Eagles, led by head coach Andrew Hofer. A year ago, they were four and two. They had a good season last year. Um, They won a big game against Ridgewood. They also had a few games where they, you know, fell a little bit short, but um, they have a good mix of youth, but also have some experience, you know, coming back out of those guys that are a little bit younger. They don't have a lot of seniors, but they do have guys who have played a lot of football. And when it comes to Mercer County, you're going to have football players on that roster year in and year out.
2: Yeah. Um, A good problem to have really for Mercer County, when you're talking about a team that maybe doesn't have a lot of seniors um, and that's going to bode well for next year when the, when the kids this year, um, you know, get that experience. But like you said, you're, you're, you're getting a mix of, of new players and returning players. Um, And really when I look at these, this team, their greatest asset is going to be their defense. They're going to be fast and aggressive. Um, so any, any any concerns that they have about the offense, uh, their defense is certainly going to make up for it.
0: So we'll look for some very low scoring games from the Mercer County Golden Eagles. Yeah, they'll be they'll
2: be over quick. Nobody, you know, deadlines, those the guys in the news will not be worried about deadlines when they go to a Mercer County game, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, I think, like you said, you know, you talked about their defense being their strength. I think on the flip side of the ball, the offense, I think, there's potential there. I, you know, mm-hmm. I don't mean to short, you know, short them or slide them in the offensive side of the ball. I think it's just getting that consistency and getting things going in the right direction. You know, Coach Hofer referenced last year, there were just some games where it was just, you know, they couldn't quite build that momentum on the offensive side of the ball. So I think if they can do that, man, combined with a good defense, there'll be a lot of potential there in Alito for a good Golden Eagle football team. They open up on the road. They'll have a tough task in Week One. They open up on the road at Farmington, team that's been mm-hmm. very good over the last few years. That's one of the crossover games that they play in that conference. Um, the crossovers with the Prairie Land, which is where Knoxville and A Town have come over from. So that's their Week One opponent. We'll keep moving down the list. The Ridgewood Spartans, led by head coach Bruce Redding, a year ago I believe that they were four and two. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Or three and three?
2: I believe they are four and two. Yeah. Um, with a, with a big win uh, against Anna Weathersfield. I don't remember what the score that was, but it was one of those that we saw it on Friday night and we're like, Whoa, like what, what a game from the Spartans that was. So yeah. Four and two in the spring. And uh, what are they going to be looking at here in the fall? Yeah. I
0: think that they return some talent. I think they lost some pieces, but they still return some talent. I think the biggest thing was, you know, Getting that, keeping that momentum building. They had some real dynamic playmakers a year ago, and I felt like they had a good scheme. Um, You saw it, especially in that win against Anawan Weathersfield. Can they do that for multiple games, kind of put that together? They had a heartbreaker against Mercer County. But if they can keep things moving in the right direction, I like what Bruce Redding is doing out there um, with the Spartans. So we'll see if they can, you know, keep things progressing. And now that we're in a fall season playoff time, can Ridgewood yeah. break through and be a playoff team? They were in 19. Yep. And can they, you know, can they keep that going, keep that sustained, sustained success? You know, again, that's one of those teams that it's a bummer that they had to miss out on a year yeah. with playoffs last year because I think they would have been a playoff team with the talent they had in in the what 20, you know, the spring 2021. Right. But um, they open up at home against Stark County. So Stark County team we'll talk about in a few minutes but they've had their struggles. So this is a Ridgewood team. If they're looking to get off to a good start, they're at home against Stark County.
2: Yeah. Um, and really, you know, winnable games until, not until, but as they lead up to a big week four matchup with uh, rematch really with, with Wethersfield. So um, yeah, like you said, can they get back to that 2019 form? I think they went to the second round that year. Um, so they certainly are going to be a, a contender here in the LTC this year.
0: Let's keep moving down the list. A team that we're very familiar with, Anawan Weathersfield. Now, the thing is, they were 5-1 and one a year ago, uh, Lincoln Trail Conference champions. But like I say, we're very familiar with the name Anawan Wethersfield. But there are some names that we're maybe not so familiar with. Colton right. Quagliano is now gone. He was the dynamic quarterback that they had there for three years, four years. Essentially, he played his freshman year as well. You also look at head coach Logan Willits has now moved on. He is now in Dunlap as an offensive coordinator. In steps Tony Grip. Tony Grip was an Anawan Weathersfield football player. He was a quarterback for two years in 2011 and 2012 for a So I think that you know he is, I think, a great hire because you keep that, keep that line moving. You don't go out of the system. He's going to keep things moving to what going back to what Brandon Johnston had built So, you know, looking at it, what do you see from Anawan Weathersfield here, Mitch?
2: They've got, like you said, replacing, and like we've talked about on previous episodes, replacing Quagliano is a a monumental task, but not one that that can be overcome. Is the team going to look different? Yeah, I think they're going to want to establish more of a run game. Um, I I don't quite know who their starting quarterback is going to be, um, but they're going to have experience for whoever that quarterback is and they're in their running back in offensive line positions. They've got a second team, all LTC running back coming back and Darius Dickerson. Um, Cole Truxell is another one. He was, a, a re, he is the starting receiver, one of them out there. Um, and then on the defensive line, uh, you, you've got Matthew Centeny, second team, all LTC in the spring. So like coach was saying, you know, um, a lot of players that have gotten quality playing time. Um, and so all the changes that they are going through, they've got the pieces there to remain uh, that that contender, that favorite in that conference. Like we talked about with other teams, you know, um, specifically Lena Winslow, it's theirs until someone takes it. And Princeville's been a team that we'll talk about that has been close, and they'll have a couple other contenders like Ridgewood. But um, boy, it'd be hard not to see Weathersfield not competing for that title again.
0: Yep. And what I like when you look at Anawan Weathersfield is yeah it's easy to say that there are guys who are gone there are names that are missing that we're used to calling out but you look through some of these names that are here you know some all area some all ltc guys these are guys that have been in the system in a very good system in a good program and man you know that they're itching to be the next guy they mm-hmm. want to be the name you know they want to be the one that we're talking about so i think that's what's exciting is a program that is such a proud tradition over the last five to 10 years. And you start thinking, these are the guys now that want to say, all right, I'm next. You know, they're not afraid of it. They want to embrace it. So yep. they open at home against Monmouth United. So we'll talk a little bit down the list um, about United, but certainly based on the last couple of years, that's a winnable game for Anna Weathersfield in week one. Um, and I just think they're going to be a team
2: that's going to compete for this conference crown it's theirs until somebody takes it away like you said and they're gonna look great doing it top five uniform uh, in the area <laughs> so the titans are gonna look good and uh I don't, I don't expect that to change either
0: that's right don't ever sleep on the uniform game so mitch moving down the list to the knoxville blue bullets ryan hebert in his 10th year at knoxville as the head coach they're one of the other new teams in the lincoln trail this year Knoxville, man, they've been successful the last few years. They've had a really good program, and I think this is another year where they're looking to make a deep playoff run. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a team that's going to be ground attack first. They're going to want to hit you offensively on the ground. They've had a lot of success with that, and I think it fits into the Lincoln Trail Conference just fine.
2: Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna fit in real nice, and I think um, I think they're a team that's really going to step right up and be. One of those contenders to take the take the uh, the crown from Weathersfield, uh, like you said, Coach Hebert is in his tenth year. He's had a lot of success there. They're on a seven year playoff streak right now, um, and that's go that goes back to the twenty thirteen season. So uh, it, it includes their last full season in twenty nineteen. They were eleven and one. So uh, you know, a great history there in Knoxville coming into this conference. So um, yeah, three and two in the spring. Uh, not sure what that they were, you know, what they were working on or what personnel that they had, but I, I fully anticipate the uh, the blue bullets to make a run here.
0: Yeah. Another team that we've, you know, maybe was robbed in 2021 or 2020 to not have a playoff experience. But I think this is a team that's ready to keep that train moving, you know, to keep, keep going in the right direction. I think yep. they're a great fit in this conference, just from a competitive standpoint. I think they're one of the teams you look to, to be up there near the top. They open, on the road at Princeville so we'll get to Princeville in a minute but man that's a that's a tough way to start
2: yeah Princeville a team that has been to the playoffs um again we'll get to them in in a little bit but I think they've been to the playoffs four straight years and they've been I think they won the LTC in 2017 so yeah Knoxville gets introduced uh right away to the conference uh, going up against the Prince's all right, Mitch, we'll
0: keep moving down the list. A team that we had referenced earlier, they have the tough task of opening their season against Anwan Weathersfield. I'm talking about Monmouth United. Head coach David Milroy has been there for a few years now. Uh, they were winless uh, in the spring. So unfortunately, they're looking to get, you know, get a W back here now in the fall of 2021. You know, um, an article I read uh, talked about, you know, Coach Milroy talking about, Wanted to do things fast and wanted to keep things moving fast and being productive, but also simplifying it, not making it overly complicated. And I think, you know, we've talked about it with several different teams. If you're struggling to find wins, I think a big thing is start with start with fundamentals, you know, be yep. fundamentally sound and then go from there. So, like I said, they open with Annawan Weathersfield. That's a tough task for United, but man, this is a team that. You know, they've had success in the past and they've had individuals over the years with a lot of talent. You know, can they put it all together? That's the question.
2: Yeah. And and really, they're, they're going to have to do it right away because, like you said, they open up with Weathersfield and it doesn't get much easier because they have to play Princeville, Mercer County and Knoxville in their next three games. So that's a gauntlet there in their first four games. So like you said, Coach Milroy wants them to be fundamentally good. Uh, they want to play simple and hopefully that leads to them playing fast. And uh they can get uh hopefully do that and uh, get off of that that winless uh streak that they uh encountered there in the spring. Um because the the Red Storm are, are looking to change that there for sure. Yeah.
0: And that's like I said, that's a program that you know they had a proud tradition. They won a state championship, you know, years ago, but still it was, I believe it was their first year as the United was, Red Storm. I think
2: it was. That's right.
0: Yeah, and they won a state championship. So that you know the the resume, the old pedigrees there, if they can get things moving. Uh, we'll move <laughs> down the list here. A new team, but not new to the LTC. The Rova-Williamsfield Cougars this year. That replaces the Mid-County Cougars. Galva has gone on their own. They'll be an eight-man football team this fall. So that leaves Rova and Williamsfield together. Grant Golstrand will still be the head coach there. Last year, Mid-County was 0-4. But in several years before that, they had had some success. I believe they were a playoff team at least once um, within the past five or six years. But this is a team that's looking to get, um, you know, looking to get some wins back. They're going to have to rely on some game experience, some that they have. Um, they have Seth Johnson back as a running back. He carried the ball. Um, he was second team, all Lincoln trail conference. Graham white is an offensive lineman who is also second team, all Lincoln trail um, Logan Kuberski is a returning quarterback, and they also have Will Coss as a starting lineman returning. So they have some pieces on offense. Looking on the defensive side of the ball, Seth Johnson and Trevor Bird are a couple impact players on the defensive side. 24 tackles for Johnson a year ago. He was also a second-team Lincoln Trail Conference linebacker. So there's guys sprinkled in out there that have you know been on the field and had some real game experience. But what do they got to do, Mitch? What, what turns the table? What gets them some Ws?
2: Well, one, one thing that, that Coach had mentioned that, they, that he thinks that they'll be a or, or that they can succeed on this year is that they're going to have, have the ability to sub in players. So I don't think that they're, they're too concerned about depth. Uh, or, or even if they are, they've got good quality players there to back up uh, and, and exchange players in and out. So um, the, their strengths going to be on their offensive and defensive line play, um, really win the battle of the trenches. Um, and they're, they're certainly going to have to do that. In this, uh, in this conference, uh, one thing that they, they've talked about before that they've struggled with is really getting off the field on, on third and fourth down situations and, and capitalizing on their opportunities. So, uh, again, small things that they or you know, things in a game might seem small, but really go a long way. And uh, they're going to look to capitalize on those and, and turn some things around there.
0: They did have a COVID scare out there about a week ago. Uh, maybe a little bit more than a week ago now, but it seems like um, they are back. It seems like they're going to be in a position to get back on the field and be able to compete. So we certainly hope for those athletes and those coaches that everybody's safe, everybody's healthy, and that they can get back to competing. They open on the road at A-Town. So they'll be um, you know going up against the new one of the newer teams um, in the Lincoln Trail Conference in the A-Town Tornadoes. Mitch, one thing that we should reference here is now that it's Rova Williams field, it's a maroon and yellow color scheme. We're going to see some new uniforms out of this.
2: That, that automatically puts them pretty high on the list. Uh, I'm a sucker for that color scheme. We put Stockton as our, our second, I think uh, favorite uniform. So uh, yeah, I can't wait to see it. I, I personally don't know what it looks like. So um, can't wait to see it on the field.
0: All right. Well, coach Goldstrand, no pressure here, but we're, you know, Mitch and me are eagerly awaiting to see what these unis look like. So yep. uh once we see them, there may be some tweets. We may be talking all about it. So, yep. all right, Mitch, the Princeville Princes, John Carruthers' crew out there, they're always a team competing in the LTC. What do you see from them heading into this fall season?
2: Yeah, a, a great story um, in the spring. They, they had talked about um, that a, a lot of the seniors on that team, this was, this was going back to it would have been the fall of, of 20 when they weren't sure what the season was going to look like yet and they would have players unbeknownst to, to coach Carruthers would go to a park and would play and practice on their, you know, on their own. And I thought that was so cool. Uh, and they, they certainly showed it on the field going five and one, they were five and no heading into the last week. Um, and then, and then lost to anyone Wethersfield in the, the de facto conference championship. But I think it was 2017 that they did win this conference. Um, they, they've been to the playoffs, uh, five of the last six seasons. So, this is a, a team that is always a, a constant here in the LTC. Um, maybe a younger core of, of players than they're used to. Um, and that'll be something that they have to overcome and they we talked about it with Knoxville as their as their week one opponent. So um, one of the new newcomers going up against one of the stables. so that'll be a fun matchup week one.
0: Yeah what I what I thought was interesting is as soon as I started thinking about Princeville and their schedule and what they got coming back and I thought, man, that game against Knoxville will be a good matchup whenever that is. And then sure, yeah. I don't right have to face. wait long to see that one.
2: Yeah. Right in your face, week one. So, yeah, they um, only won um, out of conference game uh, that is against uh, Lewiston. Uh, obviously, like we talked about, one of those crossover Prairie Land games. So, other than that, they, they got a, a full schedule full of uh, the eight teams here in the LTC that they play.
0: Yep, every team in the Lincoln Trail will play one crossover game with the Prairie Land. So that was theirs. Um, all right, Mitch, we got one more team to go through in the Lincoln Trail Conference. A team that, you know, always traditionally has been in the mix. They've come on some hard times the last couple years. The Stark County Rebels, Jade Nord, he's done a great job out there, you know, getting this team making this team a winning program but like i said they've struggled a little bit last year they were one in five um and the thing for them is you know they have to stay healthy like a lot of these smaller school teams in the area that's a key is staying healthy but the other thing for them is they just have to improve defensively Mm -hmm. obviously part of that is you know winning the turnover battle is you know getting some takeaways but also just getting teams off the field they only forced. Three punts last year in the spring season, I should say in the spring, not last year. You think we did against th-
2: Greg? Who they did that again? I
0: know they forced three punts against Marquette. Um, so that's the thing, though, is they have to do that more. You can't do it, you know, yeah. in one game and none in the rest. So, um, Mitch, go through some of the guys they got coming back. So they got some pieces in place here.
2: Yeah, they certainly do. Um, a, a lot of seniors on this group. Blake Orwig, who is a, a tackle. Six four two ninety. I mean, a, a big body there. Um, Christian Brady, Ethan Baxter, uh, Jake Meenders, the Ethan Unhold. These are guys who ha- have a lot of experience. Varsity letters, like we said. Um, Blake Orwig is, is a two-way player, obviously, at that size. Uh, why wouldn't you be? So they've got solid offensive line play. Um, not deep, but, the you know, coaches is, is comfortable with the group that they have. Um, in the spring, now, and again, this is, again, to sound like a broken record where we don't take a whole lot of stock in the spring records. Uh, They had COVID issues at Stark County. So a lot of the players that were juniors at the time didn't get to play in the spring, they're back. And so look for, look for Stark County to to really uh, turn things around because they get all these players back um, in addition to the players that they did and uh, a winnable schedule. I would say looking at it, they start with Ridgewood and then uh, go from there.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, we've talked a little bit about, you know, Ridgewood had a good year last year, but I think, you know, this is a new year. It's a fresh year. Star County goes on the road to start the season at Ridgewood. I think, man, you'd get a lot of positive momentum. If you're the rebels, if you can come out there and compete and come away with a win, I think that's a good one It'd be a great win for them in week one. Any wins a good one in week one, but against a team that had success a year ago, you'd really build, I think a lot of a lot of energy and a lot of momentum in these players if you could get a win in week one so Mitch that's it that's the rundown of the Lincoln Trail Conference I think it's going to be a lot of fun you know we talked about the Three Rivers in our other podcasts, and we talked that that would be a pretty equal conference man I feel the same way about this one I think there's a few teams that are gonna you know be favorites but there's a lot of teams that'll sneak out some wins I think
2: yeah um like we've we've said, it's been uh, Inland-Weathersfield's show. It's been Princeville's show. So can can Avon, can Knoxville break up the status quo a little bit? Can we see teams like Stark County, um, you know, like Ridgewood, Mercer County, can they finally take reins over or, or, or win them back, I should say? So, um, yeah, a, a conference without division. So we're going to have one undisputed champ, and that's going to be uh, a good to see. Always, always fun to have one team as, as opposed to two division champs. But um, I think you'll get a couple of playoff teams out of here this year, three, maybe four. And um, yeah, it should be a real exciting, exciting fall here for, uh, for the LTC.
0: For the second half of our view from the West podcast previews this week, I'm joined by Kyle Campmeier from NUICfootball.com. NUIC football fanatics, they're on Facebook, they're on Twitter always putting out the great information about a great small school conference so if I'm if I'm getting the preview I'm going straight to the source Kyle thank you so much for joining me
1: thanks I appreciate you having me on again Greg uh, it's always great getting together with you on your podcast here
0: yeah so we got a lot to talk about here because the conference has shifted a little bit we'll uh, you know we'll look through kind of the shifting landscape of the conference when you look down the list it's a lot due to teams going to eight-man. So we'll reference them um, in a little while here. But the teams we're looking at in this Northwest Upstate Illini Conference this year, you now have Dakota, East Dubuque, Foreston, Fulton, Galena, Eastland-Pearl City, Lena Winslow, Dupeck, and Stockton. So the one team that's out of the mix for this year is West Carroll. Uh, West Carroll didn't have the numbers for a varsity roster, so I believe they are playing a JV schedule, correct, Kyle?
1: That is correct. Um, Unfortunately, they only had one senior go out uh, from my last recollection. Not a lot of juniors. So they're pretty much a freshman, sophomore squad. So that's why they're playing strictly JV.
0: Yeah. So that leaves one non-conference game for all NUIC teams. But Kyle, talk about, um, you know, the dynamic shifting in no more two divisions. So what are your thoughts on having one conference straight down the board? Everybody plays everybody now.
1: Well, the great thing about the NUIC going to one conference is exactly what you would think. Everybody's going to have to play each other. So there's going to be no more debates on who's the best of the conference. Everybody's going to get that chance every Friday night to prove who's better in each game that they play. And the way the setup is now, uh, you know, you're looking in a normal setting. If we had all 10 teams, you'd have five teams automatically make the playoffs. Uh, but this year with the non-conference games, we may only see four teams make the playoffs. So you've got to bring your best every week. Obviously, they say every Friday night matters, and it's not more so true than when you're in a single conference like we are now.
0: Well, you talk about, uh, you know, it'll end some of those debates, but the debates were some of the fun on your uh, on your podcast and on the Facebook page. And, you know, those were some of the good, the good arguments.
1: Yeah, you know, I we've discussed this before in the past, but I I love the debates that it brings up. Obviously, everybody's got their differing opinions. But at the end of the day, when you take a look at the teams and what they bring back, the level of play that they have, you can easily dissect through which each team is good at, which each team is bad at and uh, kind, kind of go through and really put out there who you think the best team is.
0: Yeah, so, and speaking of the uh, you know, the Twitter debates, Kyle, we sparked a little bit of a, a Twitter debate last week because you tweeted out the rundown of the last decade of state champions from the NUIC, which I believe included four different teams just in the last 10 years alone. And now on top of that, there's other state champions in the previous 20, 25 years, if you want to go back. And I, I retweeted it and quoted by saying, like, this is the best conference in the state of Illinois. And to me, there is no debate. Now, I did get some debate. Uh, Channel 1450 out of Springfield, they do great coverage of high school football down there. And they said, hey, the uh, Central State 8 would like a word. And I, and I responded and said, well, you can have a word. But then I kind of went down the list. Kyle, you know, I know we've joked about it a lot, but, I, you know, I love the debate. But, man, to me, there is no debate here. The NUIC, top to bottom, has proven, not just through one or two teams, but through a list of, you know, six, seven teams that have won state championships and been in certain times, dominant programs, this
1: is the best conference, right? Yeah, hands down. I mean, you take a look over the past 17 seasons, we have 14 state champions and two runner-ups. Like you said, that's across... Several different teams. Obviously, the teams that have been the most successful in recent years are Lena Winslow and Forreston. um, And then you throw in EPC with that dominant season that they had in 2014. And that was, you know, ahead or after the fact of the great Dakota runs from 2005 to 2011, which also included Galena in there and Ackley. So, and, you know, Stockton, we always kid Stockton about being the never the bride, but always the bridesmaid with all their runner ups, but, you know, dominant program history for the Stockton Blackhawks, which is awesome to see.
0: And I think the important thing to note, you go through all that. And that's, to me, that ends the argument that that, those numbers are incredible. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that one, a school's are gonna walk into Rochester and beat them, you know, on a Friday night. That's not what I'm saying. Maybe they compete. I don't know on their on their best night. Maybe they compete. I'd love to think they could. But what I'm saying is, when our 1A, 2A schools out of this conference are competing against peer schools in the playoffs, the success is unrivaled. They, they yes, Rochester is a dominant program. They have proven it. Sacred Heart Griffin. They're always a dominant program. But once you get past those two in the Central State 8, specifically just because that was the one we debated this week, once you get past them, the argument doesn't really hold because there's not teams that are making consistent deep runs, and there's definitely not a team that is winning a state championship year in, year out, outside of those top two that we mentioned. So, Yeah, I
1: mean, I mean Derek Harris and the boys at 1450 have a lot to talk about. Obviously, Rochester has been – exceptional to watch over the past decade winning eight state titles in the 10 seasons that were there. But you're right. When you're looking at an overall conference, are you relying on one team to carry all of that clout? Or are you looking at, like you stated before, the NUIC, several different teams are bringing home titles on a consistent or regular basis. I mean, you take a look at it. Five teams in this conference alone have three state championships each Lena Winslow has four. Now we're adding Fulton, which has two titles in their past history. Um, Obviously not one while in the NUIC, but, you know, there's a lot of great success there. And, you know, the Central State 8 is an awesome conference, but you don't see the success out of the Springfield Uh, schools except for Sacred Heart Griffin. Jacksonville is not a prominent player in the state playoffs either. While they do have a good program, um, there's just not a lot of success behind it like you see with Rochester and SHG. But in an overall conference scheme, I want to see the different, the revolving door of teams. And granted, don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of the Leonard bowl. I'm excited to see that they possibly could both end up in the uh, same playoff field this year. So that'll be a lot to look forward to as well.
0: Yeah. So I think we both agree. I I love what channel 1450 does. We also love the debate, but if I'm going to have to pick, I, I think, uh, I think I know where, uh, you know, where I feel the best conference is. So, uh, you know, Kyle. Without further ado, let's break down that uh, that best conference in the state. How's that sound? Let's do it. All right. Well, we'll go down the list here. We'll start with the Dakota Indians. Last year, they were 0 2. Uh, head coach Joe Free and his crew were uh, shut down a little bit prematurely. They had COVID issues in the spring. They're back now, and from what I've read, from what Coach Free has told me, this is going to be a fast team. There's a lot of
1: athletic speed on this roster. They do. I mean, if you look at Dakota over the past, they won with brute strength during the Lano years. Big running backs, big size up front. And this Dakota team doesn't have that. Their last successful season was the 2018 season where they made the quarterfinals. They lost to Forreston by two points. Uh Forreston obviously going on the winning state that year. Um, but they they had a they had a good balance in that squad where this year They don't have a lot of that size up front. They do have a lot of speed. They've been trying to get uh, faster along the way. And with that, they're going to have to change some things that they do offensively as well. You're not going to see the traditional wing T offense that we're used to seeing out of a Dakota Indian team uh, in past years coming forward this fall.
0: Yeah, what I thought was interesting is that um, Coach referenced that a big part of the key to their success this season will be getting comfortable with a new offensive system. And now he also mentioned if they can get that foundation down, if they can get comfortable early, that'll really kind of open up what they can do later in the year. That'll kind of free themselves up to if they know the baseline, then they can kind of keep you know moving themselves up and getting more advanced with that offense. That's interesting to me because if you do get things rolling in the right direction and you have dynamic pieces that are fast like they are, you know, a new playbook and some plays designed for these kids to get them in space, there could be some success there for sure.
1: Well, and that's just it. That's going to be the key to Dakota's success. How much space can they make? Are they going to be able to get out and get their blocks? I mean, in high school football, you don't need somebody to hold a block for five seconds. You just have to get a body on a body and create a window of opportunity. And if Dakota can do that, they can have a lot of success. Um, They are going to have a lot of speed. They have a returning quarterback with uh, Kaden Niedermeyer there, who, while he only played the two games that they were in last year, he did some good things. He showed some playmaking abilities, and you expect that to naturally come forward again, uh, this year. And he's going to be a junior. So he, that last year as a sophomore, is was his first time. Yep. Um, uh, you got Cam face coming in at running back too. um, obviously shortened season, only two games played, but you're still listed as an honorable mention, all conference player. So, um, I know that he's got a lot of speed. I didn't get an opportunity to watch Dakota play last year due to the shortened season. Um, but, um, they, they have that opportunity there. And one of the keys to this team being successful is going to be the leadership of Adam Thompson, who also was listed as an honorable mention all conference DB really plays strong safety. So he's more like an additional linebacker, but um, if they can fly to the ball and create some havoc, you you can see some things happen. Now, the big thing with Dakota is they're going to be a more junior dominated team. So there's, a lot of inexperience around the Indians as we head into the 2021 season.
0: You know, uh, the way this roster is formed reminds me a lot with with the track success that this team had, I immediately think of, look at what Morrison did in 2019. You know, how good they were able to be with a fast defense that flew to the football and you had guys on offense that could find that space. And I think, like you said, the question becomes, do you have the, you know, the playmakers to create that space, to make that happen. So that, that'll be something interesting to watch. I'm curious to see what they can do. They open on the road at Ottawa Marquette. They actually, they go to my uh, my alma mater, my hometown. And that actually, I think the game has been moved to Saturday. Um, you know, that's maybe a whole nother discussion for other podcasts. But man, the more you see these teams having to move to Saturday because of a lack of officials is, is concerning. But anyway, they will open up on Saturday. So that's their non-conference game. And then they go into conference play against Lena Winslow. So, you know, welcome to welcome to the show. And you got to go up against the best. We'll get to the, Lena Winslow in a few minutes. But that's a tough start to conference play, certainly.
1: No, definitely. They're going to have their backs against the wall right out of the shoot. I mean, obviously, you have seen our version of our state rankings come out. our yep. team that we had put up and down the board but I definitely, you look at top 20 teams across the state in class 1A and Marquette's in that conversation, no doubt about it. So you're looking at your first two games out of the gate are against one of the top 20 teams in the state and then arguably the best team coming back in the state. So you're going to find out what you're made of right away. Yep. All right. Well, let's move down the list
0: to East Dubuque. The uh, East Dubuque led by Joe Edler was one in five a year ago. They bring some players back and, uh, you know, like a lot of teams in this conference, uh, you know, coach mentioned success means staying healthy and just being able to compete for four quarters. Kyle, what do you see in this team coming back? And, you know, obviously one in five is not where they wanted to end up in the spring. What can they, what can they do to turn things around here?
1: Well, that's one of the things with East Dubuque. They do have a lot of athletes uh, that are returning they're going to have a lot of speed, and you have a lot of experience. Um, just taking a look at a few of their guys, you got Gabe Hilby coming back, second team All Conference on the edge. Connor Miller's back; he was a first team All Conference linebacker. I mentioned mention offensive line. Dawson Fiennes back, who was first team pretty much everything for him last year in <laughs> running back. And actually, we, you know, East Dubuque was playing very good while they were losing games, they were close with Orangeville. They were close, close with Lena Winslow, but they lost their quarterback Sam Bowman to injury uh, early in the season, uh, which didn't help them. They had to move Fye into that quarterback position, which um, greatly made them ineffective offensively as far as the passing game goes. Um, So with Bowman returning and, the explosive Sam Huntington's back in the backfield again. You have playmakers like Ben Montag back as well. And then you got Brevin Lee there, but you got some good guys up front um, that are going to have some new experience, but they have some size that they can play with. Um, And with the pedigree of Joe Edler, there as the head coach, you know, East Dubuque's one of those teams, you're not sure where they're going to be but you know that they have the athletes to be successful. And with Edler's arrival to East Dubuque last year, there's already been a lot of buy-in to what he's got going forward. And I can tell you this, that while East Dubuque may be off the radar to start the season, I can guarantee you every coach is worried what they will do as long as they stay healthy.
0: Interesting. Interesting. What uh, what stuck out to me was, uh, you know, Coach Edler had mentioned now that we have a somewhat normal summer off season, being able to completely install an offense and a defense and really get down to the fundamentals of what they want to do. I think that East Dubuque was one of those teams that was burned by that shotgun spring start where it was like, no, 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 we're not going to play. We're not going to play up. Here we go. Get ready to go in two weeks or whatever it was. It was so quick. So I think that for trying to install some new things and get things going kind of ran out of time. And then, you know, the, the, the season was upon you in the spring. Hopefully they've had more time to get things worked out and worked into rhythm.
1: Yeah. I mean, they ran out of a lot of time in several different instances, even in summer camp before everything was shut down, they were shut down because of COVID issues related within the program. So that did uh, derail the possibility of getting everything set up ahead of schedule. Um, But I was impressed with their level of play that they did bring. I mean, they put some good contests up against some highly rated opponents. They just came out on the back end of them, but they were very explosive and a lot of fun to watch. And, you know, I think they can definitely be one of those teams that come season, they might come with a level of surprise for some teams. So, yeah. I'm really interested to see what the Warriors can do this year. All right. Well, again, they will be tested in week one as well.
0: We talked about some tests early. They got Dupeck right out of the gate and dupec's a team that I think we're probably both going to be high on. We'll get to them in a little bit, but you know, this conference does nobody any, well, I shouldn't say it doesn't do you any favors, but also in the long run, it does help you out. You know, the test, you do get tested. And if you can make it through some of these games, you will be battle tested come playoff time, but, Man, it's certainly a gauntlet when you're in the middle of it and they'll be tested early there. Um, let's move down the list here. Uh, Forrest and Cardinals. Um, Ken and Janicky takes over as head coach there. A year ago in the spring, I should say, I keep saying a year ago, they were three and two in the spring. And so um, looking ahead, you know, some pieces coming back. And again, you know, they know that they have a tough schedule, but Forrest and a team that they've always embraced it and they've thrived on it in a lot of times. So what do you see in the fall, Kyle, for a Forreston team?
1: Well, I think Forreston coming into this season is going to be an underdog for the first time in quite some time. Um, And that's just basically because of the unknowns around them. Obviously with Keenan taking over as head coach, it's not a big surprise to be honest. Um, I'm a big fan favorite of his. He, Um, was one of my former players when I coached at Forreston long ago. And uh, being that he was brought up under Coach Diddick and then groomed even further by Coach Zick, and he's been a part of both of their coaching legacies at Forreston during his entire time, both in high school and then as a coach underneath of them himself, he's got a lot of things to build on. Um, he said it best. He might have a few wrinkles here and there, but why change the success that you've already had? Um, so you definitely know that you're going to get the same double wing action that we've come to see out of and over the years, which is awesome. Um, as far as what they have returning, you know, they got some kids that are going to be returning here that, Probably went under the radar, uh, but they're going to be big impact players for the Cardinals this fall. Uh, Devontae King-Black was second-team all-conference, both at running back and on defensive at the edge position. Uh, Cole Becker's back, who was a second-team tight end. And you got Mason Fox back, who was a second-team offensive lineman. So they got a lot to build around there. Um obviously they're going to have a new quarterback with Logan Dyson there but he was a uh backup last year so he did see a little bit of playing time at the position. Uh, and then you have running backs Matt Beltran and uh Jacob Fiorello along with Thomas Apple all back as well. So they have the ingredients there and of course you can't count out Casey DeVries on the line. Um another DeVries coming through the Forest and ranks they always tend to be big ball players for the Cardinals. Um, great family lineage there and history within the Cardinal program. And, you know, right now we put Forrest and ranked number seven on our NUIC poll to start the year. I think that they are capable of being a big front runner in the conference. And while there's a lot of unknowns, they're going to be the same Forrest and Cardinal attack that we expect to see every week.
0: I love that coach Janicki said in his description to me that they want to play fast all the time, even if they make a mistake, get past it and just play as fast as possible. And literally his quote was play as fast as you can and we'll deal with the rest. So I just love that mentality of just fly to the football or on offense, just always go as hard as you can keep the motor running.
1: Yeah. And I mean, he, he gets that. I mean, that's, That's Diddick in him. That's the Diddick in him. Yep. Um, Diddick was that exact way play play as fast as you can get to the ball. If we make mistakes, our speed is going to return the favor for us. And that's creating the turnovers or getting that big stop because we did play fast to the ball. And, and that's been the pedigree of the Cardinal football uh, over the last decade and the growth of Forrest and even from 2014 to now. and, That's why Keenan is such a great hire for Forreston. He's not going to let that history fade.
0: Yeah, I really liked when I read about that hire. That seemed like a perfect fit for this Forreston program. They open at home against Stockton, so a classic NUIC battle there between Stockton and Forreston. The interesting thing to note about their schedule, get down to week eight. Their non-conference game in the regular season is against Gibson City, Melvin Sibley. They host Gibson City, Melvin Sibley, at home in week eight. You want to talk about some po- po- possible playoff implications there. That's, that's two powerhouse programs going up against each other late in the season.
1: Well, you know, that, and that's a great point there, because obviously with GCMS moving into 1A this year, most likely with the, their enrollment being down to 301.5, high likelihood that they're going to fall into 1A. Usually when they're in 1A, they go to the south. But with the exodus of the teams going to eight-man, specifically in the north, that could definitely bring GCMS to the north. And um, obviously, you know, a lot of teams around the state feel that they would have been a contender in 2A, Uh, definitely a contender in 1A. Um, We have them ranked number two in our NUICfootball.com poll to start the year some people are arguing that they should be number one ahead of Lena Winslow, but honestly, Lena Winslow's only lost three times in class one, a over the last five seasons. And those three losses are to forest. And so until somebody can actually beat them, Lena Winslow is going to be number one. Yep. Yep. I agree.
0: I kind of did. I didn't think about the factor of, yeah, Gibson city, Melvin simply could be coming this way for the playoff push, you know, because of the way the geography would shape out. That's, that's really interesting that the changing landscape of uh, football and who's going to what class is really interesting. That's, that's a whole other podcast. We can go two hours on that, but <laughs> all right, moving into the new guy, the new guy on the block, Patrick lower and the Fulton steamers moving from the three rivers where they had historically been going back to the sixties or seventies. Uh, they move into the NUIC and man, just from a blanket, you know, program level and just looking, you know, kind of across the board, this is a perfect fit with their history and their, you know, their, their football tradition and kind of what they've been in the past five, 10 years. This is a perfect fit for the NUIC right now.
1: Oh, I totally agree with that. Um, obviously we've been able to see Fulton uh, a couple times throughout the playoffs in recent years with Forrest and playing them twice uh, we got to see Akron playing in 2019. Uh, and, and when obviously with Fulton's enrollment that continued to decline to make them fall into the class 1A field on a regular basis, there's no doubt that this is a perfect fit for them. They're no longer having to go up against 3A schools. Granted, my opinion on that is a little bit different than what most people think only because I've seen the level of 3A play drop consistently year to year over the past six seasons. Um, It's, it's not once it once was a very touted 3A field, but that's when you had all the Catholic schools, you get all the public schools in there and uh, you start to see where, yeah, you have good programs, but I, you could definitely put the top of 1A, 2A up against these 3A teams. And we got to see that with a Princeton versus Lena Winslow and a Princeton versus Fulton this past season. Granted, you know, it, the Lena Winslow game definitely went in favor of uh, Princeton quickly after un- an unfortunate injury to Mari roby
0: Absolutely. Yeah. We saw flashes of what, yeah, of what could have been in that game. Yep.
1: But the team that we're talking about, is the Steamers, and Fulton gave them a handful uh, in their in their matchup last year. I mean, the final score was what forty-eight to thirty-nine, or something like forty-nine and, to thirty. And Princeton had to
0: rally back too, I believe, right? Fulton had the lead in that game.
1: Fulton had the lead for a large portion of that game, and yeah, Princeton had to battle back because I remember tuning into the live stream of it because of how exciting the Twitter feeds were coming back and forth. <laughs> I'm like. oh. what's going on here? Yeah. yeah, It was a great game. Obviously Ethan Rash had a big game for uh, Fulton that time. Uh, And uh, you know, you look at what they have coming back and you got four, three year starters that are coming back this season. So, you know, it's like coach Laura said to me, we have a lot of experience coming back. We have some guys that are coming back that aren't necessarily starters, but had a lot of playing time this past spring and um, you know, they're, they, they feel that they're in a position where they can definitely compete uh, for the conference title, uh, which nobody is going to argue. Um, they're definitely excited about making it into the NUIC. And he even stated that he feels that the NUIC is the best one, a two, a conference in the state.
0: Hey, he agrees with uh, a couple of guys on a podcast here too. So
1: (laughs) Um, yeah, looking at
0: what I think is interesting for Fulton here, what uh, coach lower said is their offensive scheme is going to be multiple. They're going to be as balanced as possible. They'll run at you, but if they need to pass, they're ready to do it. And they will. And I think when you get into some of these battles in the Northwest upstate Illini to be as versatile as you can, And be able to, you know, put some wrinkles in a playbook that maybe you didn't do the week before or you didn't do two weeks before. To have that ability is critical to catch some teams off guard, things you didn't show on tape, you know. So I think that's something where they could take an advantage of. And just overall, I mean, this is just a solid program moving into a great conference. Last five out of six years, they've been a playoff team consistently. They were a quarterfinalist in 16. So they've been there, this team, these kids who are, sure, they weren't on those teams back then, but they've seen it. They've grew up around it now. I mean, Coach Lower's been there 15 years. You know, this this program is very well established, very well. The foundation is all there and all set for these kids to have success, I think. They open up on the road at Galena. That seems like a really fun matchup, a fun way for them to open up going on the road to Galena. And actually, we're going to talk about Galena next, so...
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm really intrigued with that matchup. It might be a game I have to get to. I might actually have somebody else going to that game as well uh, with one of my reporters being there, but it's definitely a game of coverage. Obviously, we have Fulton ranked number three in our NUICfootball.com poll to start the year, and Galena's right behind him at number four. So um, that's going to be very interesting, to say the least.
0: Yeah, well, let's get into the Galena Pirates. Uh, Coach Ed Freed. Had a team that go that went five and one in the spring. They had a really good showing in the spring. They returned a couple impact players off of that team. One of them being uh, Ethan Heffel. He was the quarterback from a year ago. Um, honorable mention all conference. But what else, Kyle? What else do they got? And what do you see from them that can uh, you know make things work for the
1: Pirates? Well, obviously their passing attack with Heffel at quarterback is going to be huge. Um, Brady Shemahorn's is going to be his primary target, which between him and Khalid Newton this past spring were their biggest targets. Shemahorn's the one who had that incredible catch in the back of the end zone against Lena Winslow. That was called out of bounds, but uh, he's a, he's a tremendous talent that will definitely complement Hayful in the passing game. Um, you got a three year returning starter and Gabe Garcia, who was first team offensive line last year. And then you got some other big guys too, they're coming back with uh, Peyton Legrain, Carson Miller, and Kyler Furstenberg. So, I mean, this is looking like a Galena of old. Um, you know, you, you're going to have other players back. Jarrett Baston's going to be back at linebacker. Uh, he was second team all conference. Isaac Summers is back. He was an honorable mention DB. He's also going to be a guy that could either A, carry the ball or B, be another receiver for Hayful in the passing attack. Um, and then you got some other guys that are going to be coming up to like Sam Eaton, uh, Tanner Weenan, and if you start to look at the names that you're hearing, I mean these names are Galena names of old, right? So there's a lot of um, excitement in Pirate Nation once again, which is awesome to see. Me and my co-founder uh, Shane Cleaver have always said that when Galena's doing awesome. The NUIC is doing awesome. So um, you definitely, while while Galena gets a lot of hate across the conference, they're also one of those teams that you know that they're successful and the conference is going to be successful. So it's exciting to see. Sometimes,
0: sometimes it's good to be that hated school, though. You know, that, that adds a little chip on your shoulder. And it's funny that you say that about Galena. I just said in our Western Big Six conference preview, I said – The exact same thing I feel about Galesburg. When Galesburg's good in the Western Big Six, there's just something that adds to the excitement of a year. I don't know what it is, but Galena's got that it factor too. I agree with that. Um, Looking at Galena, um, what stands out to me is they return all but one player up front on both sides. So you have a quarterback, you have a wide receiver, you have some guys up front to protect them. I think Coach Freed said the one area that they really need to emphasize and work on is developing a running back, getting that running game, making sure you fill in whatever you lost from the spring. So like we just referenced, they open at home against Fulton. So they you know, they welcome in the new guys. They welcome in the steamers. That's going to be a good one. That's That's a great way to start the NUIC conference off here. All right. Should we keep moving down the list to Eastland Pearl city? Kyle, this is a program like we talked about at the very beginning of the show. They're a state champion. They're a program that was, you know, year in and year out contending. They just fell short of the playoffs in 19 and then also were two and four, I believe in the spring season. So what do you see from the uh, Wildcats in this fall of 2021?
1: Well, Last year they started first-year quarterback, first-year player, Kellen Henzey, who is big on the basketball scene for Eastland. Um, He's going to come back as the quarterback here in his senior year. Uh, Getting him more experience, more reps, is going to be critical for their offense. Uh, But, you know, one of the things I look at EPC is while they're not – the EPC that we're used to seeing from the 2009 to 14 timeframe or the 2016 and 2018 Wildcats, uh, these guys are still going to have some uh, beef behind them. Um, They have a tremendous weight program going on there and they return guys like Christian Fisher, Gavin Seigel. Uh, Riley Shower's back, Mason Brenner's back. Three of those guys are offensive linemen. Um, one of them is their linebacker who also picked up some carries uh, at the running back position. Uh, so they're going to have a good mix of people. The The line's going to be the key for EPC and then the consistency of Henzey at quarterback, uh, being able to do what uh, Coach McNutt wants at uh, EPC and if you've noticed what he does he likes to he'll bunch it up and run wing he'll spread it out and pass the ball so he's got a good mixture they just need to work on it they got some big newcomers coming up too that are going to help him out with the, the likes of like Maddox Hayden uh, Owen Rogers and a couple other guys there uh, Carson Heron, uh obviously part of the Heron regime that. uh was part of that 2014 state championship. So um, a lot of good things to build on for the Wildcats. Again, another program that was down this spring, but they gave some good challenges to a lot of the upper echelon teams um, themselves once being that team. Uh, So again, a team that you can look for to be in that playoff hunt come the middle of October,
0: yeah. I definitely see them as a team that will be battling. That we'll be looking at them late in the year, I think. And if they need to get those wins to get in, I think that them and several other teams will be right in that mix. They open up, they open up right away. You know, the, the toughest game of the year, probably for them, they're at home. They host Lena Winslow, so um, no time to wait. They got to get ready to go in week one. They'll be tested early on there, and that moves us right down the list. Kyle, at least in the last several years, all roads in the NUIC go through Lena Winslow. There's just no doubt about it. Um, what they do there, what that program has established. You know, they're they're the team now, you know. And it it was Forreston and it's been other teams in the past, but for right now, it's definitely Lena Winslow. And what's the, I guess we start with um, do we know a status on Mari Roby? I think his health is. One of the keys going into this season, into this fall,
1: Mari Roby is healthy. Um, he did have surgery on that ankle uh, right after the injury against Princeton, um, but he's he's definitely ready to go. Uh, I did see some clips of him at a camp at Drake University uh, just a couple weeks ago, um, and obviously I've seen some uh, of his clips. Uh, with other news agencies around the area. And you can just see the excitement in his voice. Uh, He's definitely healthy and ready to go. And he's going to be a menace to the NUIC this year. Uh, Coach Aaron even said that um, Roby could definitely be one of the best running backs we've ever seen come out of this conference. Obviously stat wise, he's not going to be there, but just pure talent wise, And ability to both be able to run and catch out of the backfield is going to be critical to both Lena Winslow's success, but it's going to speak volumes to the legacy of Mari Roby as a Lena Winslow Panther.
0: Yeah. So the question is, what does he have around him and who's who's creating those spaces? You know, who's going to create the holes or who are the guys that you know he's going to be working with? Because you saw his electricity, man, in that Princeton game. I mean, he found that hole early and was gone. They were not going to catch him. I mean, it was, it was electric. It was so fun to watch. And it was so unfortunate that, you know, talk about the highs and the lows of that game, um, just going from such a peak to such a valley. And you, I can see it on your face as we're talking. You just, you know it. Um, but what, what else? What, what do they got around them? They always have football players. There's no question. They got so many returning. Who are the keys?
1: Well, real quick. So going back to Mari, I yeah. mean, watch explode onto the scene in 2019 was electric in itself. When you combine that with the plays of Ormiston and Bruce, and then to watch him go down in that first game of the year, that was gut-wrenching to see happen to him. So I'm glad that he's back. I'm excited to see what he can do. Very explosive player. Obviously he doesn't have D one size, but his talent says D one all over it. And that's where the excitement and playmaking skills of him come forward. Um, around him, obviously, they return quarterback Luke Benson, who is a three years, who will be a three-year starter for them. Um, his dad, Kyle Benson, is the offensive coordinator. So Luke has been around the Panther program for a long time, knows the plays inside and out. It's going to be a huge benefit to the success at the play-calling schemes that they have behind them. Um, a big target for him uh, is going to be tight end Brody Mann. Man was a uh, first-team all-conference linebacker last year. Didn't get a lot of playing time uh, offensively. Um, I mean, he took some time in there, but uh, he's going to see a lot more. He's going to be a more critical path to the success of Lena Winslow here in 2021. Up front, there – People better be ready because up front, Lena Winslow is going to be big once again. I, they return Maddox Sargent, who is first-team all-conference center. This will be his third-year starter. He's another returning starter from that 2019 state championship team. You have Ross Stabenow coming back, who is a first-team all-conference offensive lineman. You have Tyler Croat coming back, who is honorable mention offensive line. Um, Cam Cleaver another guy that you could see in that uh, – tight end role unless they also make him a, uh, offensive lineman, but then you're going to see running backs, Ethan Fye, who was the one who had that big fumble recovery against Princeton that everybody saw. Uh, he's, he's very speedy and electric himself. Um, and you're going to see Brady Ilders and Jake Zeal join that backfield in a rotation role as well. So, uh, the Panthers are definitely, uh, reloading again, as you say.
0: Yeah, I was going to, I mean, it it doesn't even seem like you really have to qualify it as reload, you know, like it's just every year the consistency is there. It's becomes synonymous with just great football. And, and then that program, you know, is going to be there. And this year, I think that, you know, they, they have to be the clear cut favorite in the conference. And they're a team that I think everybody kind of circles as we'll be talking about them into week 12, 13, you know, down the road. So they open, like we referenced, uh, they open on the road at Eastland Pearl City. We'll talk a little bit more about them and the conference at the end here before we wrap up, but we'll move right along to a team. The other, the other team that I think is right in the mix to contend in this conference, that's the Dupeck Rivermen. They have a lot coming back, including an elite quarterback in Hunter Hoffman. Real quick, you look through his numbers last year almost 1,500 yards passing, 21 touchdowns, one interception. That's a, that's a pretty darn good ratio. So they got a lot of pieces in place. They should be a team that makes some noise this year. Kyle, what do you see in the Rivermen?
1: Well, when Hunter came on the scene two years ago as a sophomore, everybody saw him as this lanky, lanky kid that was small that may not be able to sustain hits. Thing is with Hunter is... While he's not very elusive, he makes plays in the pocket. He can get out of the pocket. One of the fundamental things that I love about Hunter is his eyes are always downfield, looking at his second, third, and fourth routes. I mean, as far as quarterbacks go, you're right. He is elite. He knows how to do his step downs, he's constantly got his head on the swivel. And when he gets flushed out of the pocket, you don't expect him to run. He's still looking to throw that ball. He'll run if he needs to, but uh, man, he's got a great probability of becoming the all-time passing leader in the conference Um, sits in a very good position for that. Also a very good position to become the all-time touchdown passing leader in the conference. He's got 39 touchdowns in his career right now. 71's the record, so he's definitely another season continuation if off this past spring season is only gonna put Hunter that much forward. Um, obviously, around him, man, they they are loaded once again. Obviously, they're gonna miss the absence of Howard and Stifter, but to take back their place. You got Bo Seaton coming back, Uh, Trent Hetland's coming back. He was an honorable mention edge player on defense, but a big contributor on the offensive side of the ball. Um, You're going to have Bryce Fitzsanko back, who's going to find his way into the role, either at running back or wide receiver. A.J. McCauley, Mulcahy is back. Um, He didn't get a lot of playing time last year. A lot of people thought he would as a sophomore. He's only a junior but he's going to be a definite kid to watch for. And then you got Trenton Taylor back too, who was a second team all-conference utility player last year. He's also another three-year starter that returns. Um, So that's going to be big for uh, the Rivermen there. Uh, On the line, you're looking at, uh, you know, Jake Anderson's back. He's the Illinois State commit that the Rivermen have. He was second team all-conference at Edge plays that defensive end position really well. Uh, Breon Green is back as well. He's going to be a huge contributor as is Bailey Leaf on both sides of the ball on the line. Um, And then you can't forget the man in the middle of their defense with Drake Fortson. He was a big time uh, player on defense at linebacker last year. He is back this year as a senior, definitely a, a leader, uh, that will help drive that defense and keep them formidable. And honestly, I think their, their line play defensively will match what we saw out of the Rivermen last year, but you're going to see great improvement out of their offensive line this year. And so I, I, thought, where- I thought what you referenced
0: earlier with Hoffman always keeping his eyes downfield, I think that's as big of a testament to what the offensive line is doing as anything else. If he trusts enough to know, I'm not worried about what's right in front of me. I can worry about what's down, you know, 15 yards downfield. And I think that's a testament to them. And at the other thing that makes Hoffman dangerous is like you said, most high school quarterbacks, once they get flushed, they're going to run. Their instinct is to run, grab five yards and keep the chains moving. He doesn't do that. He will try to find that pass. And as we can tell in the numbers, he does, he finds the pass. So I think that's, you know, just, it's kind of a it's a weapon, obviously, but it's it's that next step, it's that next level of quarterback play that you don't always see in high school.
1: One of the best plays I saw from him this past spring wasn't even a touchdown pass. He got flushed to his left, was coming towards the Dupec sideline, was able to step, plant, get off a throw, and take the hit all at the same time. Yeah, I mean he he is not afraid to take a hit. He's going to wait until the very last minute to get rid of that ball because he's not going to force mistakes. And obviously you see that in his touchdown to interception ratio. So um, that's what's, that's, what's got a lot of people looking at him.
0: Yep. So uh, the Rivermen last year were four and two. I think they're every bit in the mix here. I think there's uh, you know, they're going to be a team that we're talking about all year long, potentially competing for that conference crown they open on the road uh, at East Dubuque. Looking down the way, I think the one that maybe we're all circling is Dupec goes on the road to Lena Winslow, October 8th, week seven. I don't know about you. I think to me, that's one of the biggest games of the conference season.
1: Uh, definitely. I mean, you put Dupec and Lena Winslow across the coaches in the conference, and they're telling you that Lena Winslow is the team to beat until somebody can beat them. But Dupec is one a of the NUIC. They're right there and they're coming on fast and we've seen it building up over the last three years. Obviously when Dupac first became a team in 2017, we weren't seeing a lot of success. You saw the build up the very next year, but then that 2019 season, you could see the, the trend continuing and, um, as much as you'll make comparisons, the Dupec arrival as a co-op reminds me a lot of EPC when they became a co-op in the mid nineties, they did not have success right away, but then within year three, they got to the playoffs and it just kept building and that's right where Dupac's at. This is technically year five, but, um, you know, if you take a look at the spring season, they would have made the playoffs. Um, uh, and, and they're going to be another playoff contender here in 2021 in the fall season. So,
0: yeah, that's a great comparison because I remember, um, you know, going back to, like you said, EPC didn't see initial success and then they kind of broke through and they were a playoff team. But even in those playoff berths a couple years in a row, they would run into Morrison or they'd run into somebody and they weren't quite there. And then, man, you saw it. You know, then they really broke through state title and becoming that top contender So, you know, who knows what's in the future for Dupac, but you're right. That's, that's a way to look at the way that they've built. And now I think the question becomes like, they've had the playoff berth. Can they get there again? Can they keep that sustained success? So, um, you know, it should be fun to watch them throughout the year. We got one more team in the uh, 11 man ranks of the NUIC. We're talking the Stockton Blackhawks a year ago, they were three and three. Uh, Matt Lightson's crew coming back this year. They have some players returning. He talked a lot about the importance of controlling the line and just limiting turnovers. You know, that's what every team wants to do. He also referenced, you know, building off of some of that momentum that they had at the end of the spring last year. They were a team that really, you know, kind of built themselves up and got into a good spot in the spring. Now, can they keep it going in the fall? What do you you see, Kyle, from the Blackhawks?
1: Well, well, Stockton's one of those teams that, you talk to the inner Stockton circle and they're expecting big things. You talk to outsiders and they feel that they've lost a lot, which they did. They, they lost their entire backfield. Um, but you noted it. This is why lights is big on his line. He returns almost his, his entire offensive line. And, you know, in one, a two, a football, you have a good line that can get downfield and block. You can put your grandmother at running back in yeah. there. She's going to run a ton of yards. And that's the way Stockton is looking at the approach. We don't care who we put at running back. We want to get that line going because we're going to shove it down your throat. And, you know, leading the way there is going to be Jamie Stocks and Austin Eisfeller. Both of them return after all conference performances. Uh, you have Drew mensen back on the offensive line. And then one kid is coming in and he's getting a lot of talk already and he's only going to be a sophomore, but Michael Haas is another one that's going to be one to watch on both the offensive and defensive lines. I mean, kid already weighs about 240 pounds and ain't fat. Let's put it that way. So <laughs> uh Stockton's very excited behind this offensive line they have. And if you remember Stockton in the late eighties and early nineties, they had those big lines that they just piled behind. And here we are again, stocked with another big line. So we'll see what they have going. Obviously, Ian Brocious is going to be their, one of their feature backs that returns. He didn't get a whole lot of uh, carries last year. I think he racked up like 139 yards on the ground. He did contribute in the passing game, but he went to a uh, camp here not too long ago. And he put up the fourth fastest time at that camp among all running backs. And it was a pretty big camp there in Michigan that he went to. So um, people are excited about his speed, his ability to get out in the open field uh, to make plays. Uh, They're going to have Jace Phillips at the, at a running back position as well. And then they return quarterback Caleb Mamoser. Now the key to their success in the passing game is to get more consistency from Mamoser. Obviously he, uh, struggled uh, quite a bit here in the spring season uh, when it came to the pass game. But if they can get him uh, comfortable and able to do the things that they need to do to control situations, um, he can help them in a big way in the pass game. So um, Stockton's got a lot to look forward to. Uh, we have him ranked number 15 on our NUICfootball.com poll to start which some people are like, oh, you're, you're, you're overlooking Stockton. I don't feel I am. I think there's a lot of uh, questions that need to be answered there, but they're definitely a team to watch.
0: It's, it's fun to, you know, like you said, you put them down there in the rankings or you put them where you slotted them. So now they, they, if they feel different that they can prove it, you know, that's, that's the beauty of the, you know, that's the beauty of going into this. I look at the way you described Stockton. I look at the success that, like a Princeton team had the past couple of years, they were very run first. And obviously they had a great running back in Rondé Worrells, but they could be run first and the pass would just be there to complement it, to just keep some teams honest. I think, you know, Stockton can go that old school, you know, NUIC route and kind of do what they used to do, you know, and do what a lot of teams used to do, you know, really pound it up front and just keep the trenches moving. And and like you said, have, and athletic enough running back to keep, you know, to keep guys, keep things moving forward. So I'm I'm interested to see what they can do. And they don't have to throw the ball, you know, 50 times a game. That's, you know, that's not their skill set. Or, you know, they have the strength in the running game. Man, I, I love to see that kind of football, If you know, if you can get it working the right way. So they open on the road at Foreston. So uh, we referenced that one earlier. That should be a good one. Two teams looking to kind of prove themselves early. And, you know, some team's going to grab some momentum early on. Some te- somebody's going to be one know there.
1: We have a lot of great first-week matchups to take a look at. That's
2: for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right, so that wraps up the 11-man division. But, Kyle, before we finish this part up here, i got to ask you the question. I won't limit you to one team. Who are teams that can, that have the potential, to dethrone Lena Winslow. Me and Mitch talked about it on our opening podcast. Who do you think? Who sticks out to you?
1: Uh, well, definitely Dupec and Fulton stick out. Galena sticks out. Um, those three teams there are definitely going to be major players in who can uh, dethrone Lena Winslow. Obviously, we saw it last year. Dupac should have had Lena Winslow beat um, <laughs> If they would have ran the ball, and <laughs> run up, the they win the game, but they, their game plan, which is throwing the ball. And, you know, I've talked with it with coach Hoffman on that decision-making process. And, you know, he's, he's gotten a lot of critics for that, but he trusted his offensive coordinator, Kyle Nolan. And I can definitely see where you come from. If you're having success, you're going to stick with what you have that got you there. Now, granted, there are times where you got to go away and do what's more traditional or correct, but you know you don't expect to go uh, four straight pass plays with incompletions when your quarterback throws at sixty-three percent completion percentage. So, um, while he got a lot of criticism on it, I definitely understand his point, and it shows his uh, ability to trust in his coaching staff, which I think. Uh, helps build character and morale around that program and why they're doing so well, uh, bringing it all together. Uh, Fulton, obviously we know what Fulton is. We, like I said, we've seen them in the past in the playoffs. Uh, we know that they come from a traditionally tough three rivers conference. Uh, obviously they played arguably one of the best three a teams this past year and gave them the best game that they had all season. Um, And then, you know, Galena obviously had that awesome game against Lena Winslow as well, where they darn near had the upset on them. And then, you know, my sleeper picks Forreston. Um, Like I said, Forreston's a quiet team this year because nobody's expecting anything great of them because they have a bunch of unknowns. But I'm going to tell you, I've heard through the grapevine that they have a lot of speed they have some great size, and it's just going to be traditional Forreston football. So, uh, those four teams to me are the teams that can be the ones to dethrone the Panthers come this fall. That, that's a great list that you're, you're in lockstep
0: with me and Mitch. That was kind of where our heads went to. And man, you look down the schedule and you look at a Lena Winslow hosting Forreston in week nine. Is that not some classic NUIC football there? to end the regular season with, man, there could be so much playoff implications on the line there.
1: Well, you look at recent years, those are the teams to look at when you talk about 1A state championships. So uh, no better way to end the regular season than a nice little rivalry game.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, Kyle, let's, uh, let's pivot over to eight man football, the eight man ranks of the Northwest upstate Illini you know they're they're not technically members of the Northwest Upstate Alliance in football anymore now that they're in the eight man ranks. But these are you know the schools that you cover. They're they're always on your radar. They're they're still you know the Northwest Upstate Alliance to us. You start looking down the list: Amboy, Ashton Franklin Center, Aquin, River Ridge, Milledgeville, Orangeville, Polo. Even going back a few years, South Beloit now in there at the uh, in the eight man ranks. So those are on the eight-man football North division. So, um, Kyle, if you want to go through, give me some teams to watch for or what are some uh, players to look out for? Because I guess first we'll start, how exciting is it to have a good collection of these NUIC teams playing at the eight-man level? And here's here's another division of football that the NUIC can kind of lay claim as we're the best in this one too, right?
1: Well, we've, we've kind of proven that over the last two seasons. I mean, we had River Ridge go undefeated this season in the spring year. We had Polo win a state championship and their first season uh, convincingly win a state championship in the 2019 season, their first year in eight-man. Uh, so really, you know, you take a look, Polo and River Ridge were our two founding fathers of eight-man football. <laughs> so uh, the NUIC and one's win a state one goes to the semifinals losing to Polo for the state championship bid. And then River Ridge comes back last year and they're arguably one or number one or number two. I mean, um, but you know, you take a look at going into this season and in my opinion, all I say, Orangeville is going to be the team to watch, uh, eight man football out of the NUIC contingent. I think you're going to also see uh, one of your fan favorites, the Milledgeville missiles be right there in contention uh, along with uh, Polo will still definitely be in that area as well. Um, But after that, you know, a lot of people are like, well, Aquin, what about Aquin? Well, Aquin can definitely be scary considering it's eight man football, but they lost a lot. So they got to figure out what pieces they can build around and get some things back. Um, obviously they're going to change some things up. Um, you have Cade Geiken, uh, who is back. He's a three year starter for the Bulldogs. He's not going to be available game one. He had some injury, uh, or surgery here a couple weeks ago to repair some issues that he's been having. Um, so he's going to get a late jump into the season. But some guys that will stand out for Aquin are going to be Evan Brogi, who will most likely take over that QB role from uh, Will Gustafson. Uh, you're going to see Clay Ludeking uh, at the running back position. They return Drew Eggie and Jackson Eggie. And then uh, Gavin Hunziker will be back on the offensive line. Uh, And then Ali Arndt will be one of the playmakers at a wide receiver position, also doubling as a defensive back on the other side. So they they have some guys that they can definitely build around. It's just how much depth are they really going to have? I know that they're getting tight on numbers. That's part of the reason why they transitioned into eight-man football this year because they just weren't going to have the depth to sustain an 11-man football team. Um, Orangeville's got a lot to watch, and three of the guys I'm going to name off right away are the guys to watch, Nate Anderson, Gunnar Lobdell, and Carson Rote. I mean, those three guys were all starters last year in 11-man football, uh, two of them were starters the year before on a playoff team that beat a Chicago Hope team that was heavily favored in that uh, year. Um, you return a three-year starter in Ryan Guy and Jared Stubby. Uh, you have a nice upcomer and Gavin Roth, who is only going to be a sophomore, uh, but saw some playing time last year, uh, as well as a freshman. Uh, Ben Briggs is another sophomore that can potentially be an impact player on the um, offensive defensive lines as well. Uh, So they're going to have size. They're going to have speed. uh, And, you know, they just got to identify who they want at the quarterback position, but Orangeville is definitely going to be one of those teams I'm looking for. Uh, I was going to say real quick, who took over as head coach in Orangeville now for Schneider? Oh yes, yeah. so yeah, good point. Coaching change there. So obviously, Coach Snyder left to go to Morrison. Uh, good move for him, as his Mustangs are going to see their way into the state rankings to start the year. Uh, but uh, Bill Meyer is the new head coach for the Orangeville Broncos. He had been on the coaching staff as as an assistant in the past, uh, but he's taking over the program now uh, with both Doyle and uh, Snyder moving on. So. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he can bring. Obviously that's one of the things that will be a talking point as the season rolls on, because with new coaching changes come new schemes and, you know, some guys think they can do it better than others, so to speak, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he can bring forward for the Broncos. Uh, Milledgeville, uh, returns quite a bit. Um some of the guys to watch out for there are going to be Ashton Nobis, Dimitri Garza, uh Peyton Sarber, Isaac Tom Smith, uh Gage Will, Colton Stall, uh Tyson Helfrick, uh Eric Ebersole. Those are and, and Blake Sherman, I don't want to forget him. Those are guys that are returning starters that return for the missiles this fall. Um, All of them had big contributions to a very successful spring season for the missiles, which was, uh, very exciting to see. Obviously they gave, uh, Aquin a good game there in the first half just didn't have enough to sustain it in the second half. And Aquin is arguably the number one team last year, uh, or at least a tie with Lena Winslow last year. So, um, that's why we got Milledgeville ranked number three to open up our eight man poll uh, right behind Orangeville, who, who is at number two. And then, uh, you know, Polo comes in that list there too. I think we have them at number five. So um, they have to fill the QB role. Good chance it could be Connor Nye. One of the interesting things, the last time Anai was a quarterback for Milledgeville, they went to the semifinals back in 1999. So uh, we'll see how that uh, success uh, looms for uh, Coach Roble and the Missiles there. Uh, Polo, obviously, is going to have some good returners themselves. They return All-Stater Wade Reimer on the offensive and defensive lines. They have quarterback Tyler Mertian back. Avery Gonoble is back at running back. And then you have... The other linemen, uh, Cooper Blake, Blake Deal, Devin Rucker, and Daniel Engel all returning. And then tight end Wyatt Queckburner. So um, Polo's definitely got a good um, amount of experience and returners coming back that should definitely help the Marcos continue their run of dominance in eight-man football.
0: I was going to say, yeah, they were a clear cut state champion. They made it look fairly easy when they won it in their first year in 19, correct?
1: Oh, yeah, very easy. Yeah. Uh, watching that with uh, Milford Cisna Park was almost an embarrassment to say the least.
0: <laughs> so, what I thought was interesting is I read an article um, about Milledgeville transitioning to eight man. And I thought what stuck out to me was Coach Robel talking about having more flexibility now and having more you know, more resources to kind of coach and instill new things in an offense. So for example, like, you know, if you want a more run-focused, you know, offensive package, you can do it. Or you can then sub-submit guys in and out and be more pass-heavy. Whereas in the past with 11-man, it was, here's our starters, here's what we got to do, you know? So I think that's really interesting. When you move to eight-man, it creates some more, ability to be strategic within coaching which has got to be exciting for coaches obviously but for players too to have some diverse packages and some things that you can do a little different and the eight-man game is a little faster and it's a little more you know you're going to get some high scoring games but it's exciting I think that's really exciting for these programs to have a little bit more depth built into their roster and to have that freedom.
1: Well, that's just it. You know, there's a lot of naysayers to eight man football and I'll be honest, I was not a big advocate for it um, myself either, but I've opened up to it. Uh, I actually started watching and I talked about this with you before I started watching Iowa eight man football during the semifinals and state championships because I could get it on MC 22 and watch it come across and um I have a friend that every year they go to the unit dome to watch the semifinal games. And one of the things that they go to watch are the eight man games because of the excitement, the explosiveness, uh, the speed of the game. Yeah. You get some high scoring games and people are like, well, that's cause there's no defense. No, there's defense. There's just, yeah, your field's 10 yards smaller, but there's still a lot of space out there to make plays happen. And, um, you can definitely identify the athletes on an eight man field a lot quicker than you can 11 man field. And you're going to be able to identify defensive players as well, because open field tackling is huge in the eight man game more so than the 11 man game. Um, you take a team like Polo, you know, when they were an 11 man, especially later on as they got smaller. Yeah. They had to start spreading some things out. You watch them go to eight, man, they're running all power. And it's like, wow. And that it was exciting because they could just roll you right over. Um, and uh, it goes to what you said with coach Robles comments. I mean, a coach in eight man football can make many different offensive schemes work. Um, it's not just a, all passing league like many people feel and that's why I've become an advocate to push eight man football I'm excited for the uh, inception of all these NUIC schools moving to eight man football because now it's going to force us to cover it more because I feel that that's important and I hope that I can become a uh, a player and helping The interest level of eight-man football in the state of Illinois build up with our coverage of it as well. Well,
0: yeah, and I'm right with you. Me and Mitch talked about it in our first episode. I think it's important for you know the coverage to be there and the support to be there because this should be a sanctioned IHSA state final. This this should be played in Champaign or it should be played in Decalb, the same as every other as every other game. There's there's no difference. There really isn't. And so I hope that you know this year with a lot of bigger more prominent school names joining eight man and you know now hopefully once we got COVID in the rearview mirror and football is more back to a regular schedule but yeah you'll get some attention to it
1: yeah I mean that's one of the things that you heard you know you've always heard well you need 80 school members to become an IHSA sanctioned sport it's like football's already a sanctioned sport it's just another division so why is it not sanctioned and that's starting to become the argument and I mean we got Last I checked, I think there's 28 schools that are playing this year. So it's not quite to 32. I thought that once they got to 32, 36 teams, that they would definitely sanction it. But I think if they went ahead and made it, I should say sanctioned, which I honestly thought would have happened by 2021 with the whole district talk. And then all these teams moving over to eight man because of being put into districts, obviously that vote failed, but, um, 2021 was definitely my timeframe that I was looking at. This is when IHSA is going to sanction eight-man football. The whole two-year enrollment status change that they started implementing back in 2019 also led me to believe that that was going to be the case. Um, there's no, there's no reason why it shouldn't be. And I think the minute that they make it a sanctioned IHSA sport, you're going to see more teams start to move into eight-man because they want to have that identification that hey. We can be ourselves. We can bring back our town pride, our community pride, school pride, and put our team back on the map. So I, I'm i definitely a huge advocate. Obviously, a lot of these schools that we see, the Polos, the River Ridges, the Aquins, the Orangevilles, they all had opportunities to co-op. They didn't take those co-op opportunities because they're like, no, we're going to stay with what we have because we have a lot of pride in what we do. So
0: yep, I'm and excited I mean- for it. Yeah. I mean, you look at it point blank. I'll just lay it out there. Like you said, they had options to co-op and chose not to do it. I'll say I would rather see in week one, an eight man game that is polo versus Milledgeville rather than see a polo slash Milledgeville co-op facing somebody in 11 man. That's just me. I would rather see them be their own identities and play that rivalry, that long-standing traditional rivalry against each other. There's a sport that can make it happen. Eight man's it. I just, that's the route I would prefer to go. And I'm glad that they, they stuck to it
1: and they're going to try to make it work. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, co-ops are, are great, but they can also be a thing of the past if schools want to continue to support their own football programs. Um, obviously that wasn't the case and that's why we have all of these co-ops. But yep. you know, you're starting to see these co-ops start to dissolve because these schools are wanting to go play Eight-man football and be their own team again.
0: Yeah. And I should clarify, there's some great, great co-op programs. Obviously, we've talked about several of them in this podcast. <laughs> you talk about Anna on Weathersfield. I mean, there's some programs that before Eight-Man was an option, they decided to commit to a co-op and it was the perfect move for them. So I I shouldn't shouldn't dismiss co-ops as being terrible. That's not what I intended to say if it came off that way. But um, you know, a couple of the teams we should reference, speaking of um Galva uh, dissolved their co-op with Rova, so they will now be eight-man football as Galva High School. Um, they'll be on the southern half of the uh, of the eight-man football division, along with West Central. West Central Heat were a former Lincoln Trail Conference team. They've now been eight-man, I think, for one or two years. And I believe you had them ranked number one, Kyle. Right in your eight-man rankings.
1: I do have them ranked number one, and um, a lot of that's because, you know, they, were, they had a perfect record here in the spring season. Obviously, they were able to play one of our area teams in polo this year and put a hurting on them pretty bad. Um, I know that they have a lot of returning starters. They boast probably one of the fastest kids in all of eight-man returning this year. And if I remember taking a look at some of the uh, games that uh, I saw photos of or videos of, you know, they had a lot of good size for an eight-man football team, and they could get off the ball very fast. So um, until I can see somebody actually play them and beat them, right now they're my number one team. And uh, we're going to get to see that. Uh, Week two, they get to come up here to Aquin on a Saturday afternoon and you can bet your bet you I'll be there to watch that one uh, because I want to see what West central's got.
0: Yeah. I don't know if it's a kid who graduated or not, but they had a highlight last year that I saw and man, this kid was just a man amongst boys out there. He looked huge. Um, But yeah, it's interesting yeah. to see the pieces they have coming back and yeah, they looked really impressive in the spring. So um that's a team that, yeah, eight man seems to be the perfect move for them as well. So Kyle, Austin. I think – what's that? Go ahead.
1: Austin Van Scoy, That's going to be the kid to watch right there.
0: All right. There we go. I think we've gotten in every school, every name, every, every preview possible. Um, Kyle, thank you so much for being here, for talking some Northwest Upstate Illini between the 11-man and the 8-man division. You know your stuff, and I, I, love, I love having you on to talk through it all, and I'm sure our listeners appreciate it too we'll uh maybe we'll have you on um you know maybe at the halfway point of the season we'll check in and see what what's going on and how uh how things are going up there
1: sure i'm always ready for uh a podcast i i enjoy getting on these and obviously talking football talking with you you have a great platform that you created here this past spring and obviously getting a lot of interest statewide uh is exciting and uh it's just it's it's fun to be able to talk football like we stated before with different people in different areas that have different coverage capabilities and uh it's a lot of fun i enjoy coming on here and talking to you and if you want me on again i'm always open for it awesome well thank you i appreciate it so that'll do it for our
0: previews that'll do it for all of our previews we've run through the western big six you can find that podcast is already out you can uh Listen to that one right now. You can also go out and find our Three Rivers Athletic Conference preview. That one we broke, me and Mitch broke down all 14 teams straight through without one stop, and that was a gauntlet. That was a lot, although this one rivaled it because we went through both the 11-man and the 8-man of the NUIC and the, the Lincoln Trail. Thank you so much. Kyle, we'll be in touch. There's plenty of football to talk about. All right.
1: Thanks, Greg. Have a good one.
0: That'll do it for this week's episode of View from the West. Thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to go out to Apple Podcasts or Podbean and subscribe so you can follow along and downloads will come automatically every week. You can follow along on Twitter at Pod. You can also email me if you're interested in being a sponsor, Westpod at gmail.com. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.